Okay, we are in the middle of our Roman series, in our winter series. Uh, we're in Romans chapter 5 today. I'm just going to read Romans chapter 12 to 21. Every week we go to the Word of God. Because if you got my opinion, we'd all be in lots of trouble. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gifts of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 You know, most of us here are from uh, Asian background. One of the spiritual gifts that Asian parents have uh, I guess uh, being a parent, I, I'm, I'm trying to not be uh, spiritually gifted in this area. But one of the spiritual gifts that Asian parents have is the gift of comparison. Okay, that's not a real spiritual gift. It's a joke. But uh, Asian parents are very good at comparing. Uh, it doesn't matter how old you are doesn't matter how smart you are, doesn't matter what nationality you're from, our parents, and as much as we love them, they are so good at comparing. And I know some of you, like, some of us are laughing and others are, like, hurting inside because, like, there is some, like, deep down trauma, you know, like, like dead said, like, I'm not, and I, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to belittle that and, you know, we'll talk after the service. <laughs> Parents are so good at comparing. And it doesn't matter if you're an all-A student, or an all-B student, an all-C student. Parents are just good at comparing. You know, when you took the report card home, right, you knew what was coming. 
doesn't matter how good your report card was, right? Because it mattered what your friend got. Didn't matter what you got. If you had a sibling, automatic comparison. You know, doesn't matter how old they were, and what grade they were. I have a younger sister, two years younger than me. Uh, it was tough because she was smarter than me and she was two years younger than me. She just was more advanced than me. And so I remember my parents would compare our reports. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you compare a year nine report to a year seven report and come to some kind of conclusion with that. So legit, my mom would sit down and look at my marks and my positions and then look at my sisters and go, see, why can't you be like your sister? I go, we go to different schools. We're in different grades. We didn't even do the same subjects. And yet, our parents were very good at comparing. I hear, and, and you know, I think I got off lightly. I don't have deep down trauma. I know some of you guys might. You know, I hear, I, I've heard these amazing stories, right? Like guys come home and they came 16th out of 500 people. They come home and they're so excited and all their parents can, can talk about is, give me the names of the 15 people that beat you. And what shootering college do they go to? But sometimes, you know, the comparison can go a little bit extreme. You know, like you start playing soccer and then your parents are like, why can't you play for the World Cup? <laughs> comparison is an interesting thing. And what Paul does in this passage, he's going to make what I think is the great comparison. He's going to make the great comparison, a huge comparison between Adam and Jesus. Adam, for those that don't know, he's the first human that was uh, created, first person that was made by God. And God created him in the beginning, and, and Adam was created perfect. He was created perfect in the image of God, and if God is perfect, then he was perfect. He was not only perfect in his image, but he was in perfect relationship with God. He was right with God. But because of his selfishness and his sinfulness and his desire to be a God himself, Adam and his wife Eve decide to rebel against God, breaking the perfect relationship that they had with God, and, and they just go their own way. They declare that they don't need God. I don't need you, God. I'm going to make my own rules. I'm going to be the king of my own life. This is the picture of original sin. Now, what's that got to do with us? What's, what's the comparison of Jesus and Adam? What's that got to do with us? Well, we're the descendants of Adam. Okay, you need to understand this. When Paul is talking about Adam, he's using Adam as the figurehead of all humanity. And so as he talks about Adam, he's not just talking about Adam, one person. He's talking about Adam as humanity, all of us included. See, and as descendants of Adam, uh, we, we, we're the ones, we, we have a rebellious heart and a sinful nature, exactly what they had, because we inherited that in our human nature. Do you ever realize, kids, uh, you never have to teach them to sin. They're very good at it on their own. We have to teach them how to share. We need to teach them how to be good. You ever think about that? Kids are the worst sinners in the world. Right? You, and you never had to teach them because they're just sinful in nature. 
Verse 12, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And this is the result of sin. This is the result of sinful nature. It's not just Adam and Eve that died, that physically would die, but that got inherited by the generations and the generations after, including us. So when Paul talks about Adam, Adam is the representation of all human beings. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to compare Adam and Jesus, and he's going to show us this amazing comparison, the comparison between God and man. And I want to run through these comparisons uh, verse by verse to show you how different it is. How big that gap is between God and man. We'll start in verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. The trespass is another word for sin. For if many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that, can't, that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Adam introduced sin into the world that would lead to death. But Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection, would bring about grace that would bring many to life. Okay? This is the comparison. Okay? Adam introduced sin that leads to death. Jesus introduces grace that leads to life. Verse 16, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Adam, through his sin, brought about condemnation, being condemned, being blamed and sentenced. Whereas Jesus brought the gift of justification. The declaration where God sees man as being sinless on the basis of the sacrifice of what Jesus did on his death on the cross. Verse 17. For if by the sin or by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and, the, and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus? Adam brought a reign of death, a kingdom of death, whereas Jesus brings a reign of righteousness. I hope you're seeing this amazing comparison. It's literally heaven and earth. Verse 18 and 19. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. See, Adam was disobedient, and, and through his disobedience made many sinners, including all of us. But Jesus, through the one man, Jesus, and his obedience made many, hopefully many of us, righteous. The comparison is amazing. Adam caused the problem. He sinned. And Adam couldn't do anything to, to fix this problem of sin. And it's the same for all of us. We're all sinners by action and by nature. Uh, this is what Paul has been outlining in the first five chapters of, of, of Romans. And the problem, we can't do anything about this. And this is something that I hope that you're starting to understand, is that you and I cannot change our sinful nature. 
We can't wake up one day and go, you know what? I want to be a better person. Behavior modification does not take care of your spiritual problem. You waking up earlier, going for runs, you know, having, you know, green smoothies and, you know, all the good, goodness of, of, of what this world, you know, has to offer is not going to make you any worse or better in the eyes of God because we are sinners. Full stop. We can't do anything. You can't earn your righteousness, your, your, your position in front of God. But this is the beauty of it all. Jesus came to bring about a solution for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And he gives us salvation, the act of saving as a gift, as an act of grace. He says, I'm giving this to you for free. Romans 5, verses 6 to 7, one of the most powerful verses in, in, this, whole bo- in this whole book. You see, and this is such an amazing summary. You see, at just the right time, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Leave that verse up there. Verse 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. See, what God is showing us in this comparison between Adam and Jesus is how far gone we are as people. Can I tell you, you can live your life trying to do good works, trying to earn the favor of God, trying to impress God with your amazing deeds by coming to church and praying and reading the Bible and doing good things. And that will do nothing in your standing with God because we cannot earn and work our way in the good books of God because we are sinful. But in that position, when we were dead in our sin, when we were powerless, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, the thing about that verse is it it actually debunks this one myth about Christianity. And it's this myth that says God only accepts good people. It's this myth that you can only go to church and be accepted by God when you have your life intact. When you have the balance between, you know, mornings, lunches, and and dinners, and your spiritual life, and your physical life, and your mental life, and your psychological life. When it's all together, when you've got it all together, then you will be acceptable to God. And that verse says, while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Christ did not die for you when you got better. Christ will not die for you. Salvation is not available to you when you get your life in check. When you've broken your addiction. When you've decided to marry and date the right person. No, Christ died for you even while you were sinners. It's so countercultural to how we live. 
You know, like our kids, right? When they do something good, we give them something good. Right? In our workplaces, it's the same thing, right? You do good in your workplace, you prove yourself, you will get that promotion. You will get that favor. You do good and you get good. And what Christ says is, no, you cannot do good. But I'm going to give you good. Because I'm good. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I hope and pray, and I reckon there's people even here, because, you know, I grew up, you know, I, I grew up with this, uh, this wrong theology. Get your life together. That's what God wants. No, 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 friends. In the eyes of God, your life will never be together. Why are you trying to fix something that you can't even fix? This is where legalism comes into play. Oh man, I've got to go to church today. Starts at 5 o'clock, I've got to be there at 4.50. I'm going to sit in the first three rows because they are the holy seats. Only the rebels sit in the back row because they're where the, the, the late people come. You know, I'm going to give my 10%. And you know what, this week, God, I'm going to give you 10.5%. You deserve a bonus this week. You know, I'm going to love five people today. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, that's it. I'm done. That's legalism. Trying to impress God with our acts. Here's the thing about God. There's nothing you can do that will impress Him or make you more acceptable to Him than where you are right now. But that's the beauty part. This is assuming that people's lives are getting better. Even when your life gets worse. Maybe in the future, and I don't wish this upon you, but maybe in the future you're going to go through some real trouble. You think you had life tough now, you Will God love you less that you are in more trouble or you have walked further away from him? No. This is the beauty of God's love. It is unconditional. While we were still sinners. But this is the point we need to really understand is that you, you have to stop trying to impress God. You have to stop trying to live this holy art thou life, thinking that that is what impresses God. No, salvation never happened. Jesus didn't die on the cross because you were going to do a good thing for him. Jesus died on the cross because he loved you, regardless of where you are, regardless of who you are. It doesn't matter if you've been in church for a day, a week, a year, 10 years, it doesn't matter. Christ died for you when you were a sinner. And this is the great comparison. In our selfishness and sinfulness, all we do is we think about ourselves. All we do is think about my life, my future, my career, my pleasure. But God, but God demonstrating His own love for us does the most selfless thing by sending His one and only Son to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. Now, I'm telling you, just because I have three children and one on the way, doesn't mean that, like, wow, you know, I, I got a few extra to spare. I'll just sacrifice one of them for you. It's not going to happen. 
if anyone did that, they, they would be out of their mind. And yet God does that for you. God demonstrates his love for you in the most real way. One of the things about this comparison is, and I think sometimes we get caught up in it as well, is that we go, okay, there's Adam and then there's Jesus. Okay, we're Adam. Okay, we need to be like, we need to be like Jesus. How can we be like Jesus? Okay, on your knees, praying 50 minutes a day, bang. You know, Jesus prayed early in the morning. Okay, how early? I don't know what early is. 5 a.m. Okay, we're going to do that. Okay, I'm going to become more like Jesus. I'm going to become more like, and you know what? Like, you know, like when your parents compare you, they go, hey, why can't you be like, you know, that kid down the road? You know, why can't you be like, you know, that person across the street? You know, why can't you be like your friend? And then so you have this desire. You're like, okay, I'm going to try to be like them. I'm going to study hard. I'm going to play sport better. I don't know what I'm going to do about my face, but, you know, try, wash my face. And I think sometimes spiritually we, 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 we fall into this trap too of like, oh, wow, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is who died for us. Man, he's so awesome. You need to be like Jesus. And yes, we are moving towards Jesus, but that's not what our faith is about. It's not trying to appease God by trying to be like his son. It's the other way. It's as, as we love God that we will become more like his son. The motivation for it must be in the right place. When we have faith in Jesus, when we put our trust in Jesus, we actually get to put on His righteousness and we are declared justified in the eyes of God. We are right with God. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to do anything. So if you're living your life right now trying to like, earn your way to God or trying to merit yourself to a good life, please stop. You, you're killing yourself. It's, 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 it's not good for you. It's, it's not good in the eyes of God. It's, Jesus has done it for you already. All you need to do is trust him. Why is the restoration between the relationship between God and us so important? Well, firstly, because it's God. Okay, and a lot of people don't understand this idea. Why is it so important to have a right relationship with God? Because God is our creator. Uh, before the physical universe existed, God existed. Now, whether we fully understand that or whatnot, we've got to understand, well, if, if we're not right with our own creator, then something's really funny in our lives. A lot of people, they go, oh, you know, I just feel empty. You know, I just feel so dissatisfied with my life. And it's like, well, are you right with God? Like, who's God? You're missing this humongous spiritual void in your life. And, and of course, you're missing out. See, God's original purpose for humankind was to be in perfect relationship with him. So that's why the restoration of this relationship is so important. Actually, it's vital. To who we are, because that's what we're meant to be. We're meant to be in perfect relationship with God. But secondly, it, it's, it's, the restoration is important because it totally changes our eternity. Whether we spend eternity with God or without God is determined by whether you have a relationship with Him or not. God says, you want, you, you want to be in relationship with me? Then 
follow me. And God says, you want that? I can give that to you for all of eternity, even after death on earth. And no, no, I know sometimes we feel like death is the end, but I'm telling you, friend, death is not the end. Physical death is not the end. How can, how can 70, 80, 90, 100 years define your existence? Like, what is the reason behind that if that's the end? That's the point I don't get. People are like, no, no, when you die, you just die. And it's like, why? Why would that be? Why? If, 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 if physical death is the end of our existence, right? I mean, really think about this, right? I, I worked this one out when I was really young, all right? I did all my Bible study teachers' heads in. If I'm going to live and die, and that's it, there's no afterlife, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no repercussion with the way that I live my life, why do I need to live a good life? Yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Hey, yeah, you know, I think I asked that question in year eight. My teachers were gutted. They, they just, they weren't ready. But you know what, for me, it's such a, it, to me, it's a logical question. It, seriously, if my, if my life and my existence and my meaning and purpose is going to finish the, mem- the moment that, that my breath finishes, right? Then what's the point in anything that we have? Like marriage kids, jobs, health. Mate, if I knew that there's no afterlife, I'm not going to go to the gym. Why would I go to the gym? I want to waste time going to the gym. I would go, I would eat. That's what I would do. I'd become a professional eater. Right? I'd try to make money off it. And I'd make money to use that money to buy more food to eat that. If there is no existence after death, then you have a very serious question that you need to ask yourself. What's the point of my life? They say your understanding of death will determine your understanding of your life. So secondly, it's important for us to be right with God, to have a restored relationship with God because it totally changes the destination of our eternity whether it's with God in heaven or without God in hell. But thirdly, and this is one that we, we, we normally don't go to, the relationship being restored with God has earthly consequences here and now. Being right with God isn't just about having a good feeling inside of you and knowing that you're going to spend eternity with God forever. No, no, it has consequences here and now. Because on the other flip side is that what's the point in believing God and believing that God's got a home for us and an eternity for us? Why do, why do we live these 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years? And what God says is, no, no, no. There are things on earth that are consequential to the relationship that you have with me. And we see this back in verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There are three things that God gives to us on earth as a consequence in our relationship with God now. Having a right relationship with God now. The first one is this, we have peace. 
We have peace. Let me ask you, do you know, do you know what it's like to live a life of true peace? If you define the word peace, it's freedom from disturbance or an absence of war. And I know for some of us, you know, we're fortunate, we live in Australia, but there are so many people in this world, they would cry for peace in their region. Next week when, when um, Dr. Mufti comes, he's going he's gonna to share with us what it's like to be a Christian in the Middle East. And he is crying for peace. But what about us? Just because we don't have a war around us, does that mean that, that we don't need the peace? No, no, we need this peace. Because peace is not necessarily just an external absence of war, but it's an internal absence of disturbance. I'm talking about the wars in our hearts, the restless nights, the, the, the worries that we have, the anxieties that we go through. No one here can tell me that, oh, you know, I, I don't have any of that. I'd be saying, you're a liar. Every single one of us have, have things in our lives that stop us from sleeping well. Might be in a relationship with a family member. It might be your future. It might be your studies. It might be your career. Everyone's got something. Having a right relationship with God allows us, allows God to give you a peace that you cannot obtain in this world. A peace that goes beyond your circumstance, that goes beyond your situation and goes, man, I'm, I'm stuffed. But why do I feel so peaceful about it? Can I tell you, when my wife told me that she was pregnant, there was no peace in my heart. Oh, that's an understatement. Oh, oh Jesus. I have been dealing with a, a war in my own heart for the last two months and it's taken me to some dark places. And it's only, when I, it's only when I took it back to God and it's only when I said, okay, God, you gave the kid, you fix it. Not in those words. Only when I came to God and said, you know what, God, I, I got no solution for this. I got no answer. I, don't, I can't just fit like a, you know, I can't just, you know, fit another seat in my, you know, Honda Civic. I have to buy another car, God. How are you going to deal with that? You know? I have to do nappies again. Ah, oh, Crawling babies. And I love all the babies in our church, by the way. Thank you very much, parents, for bringing them. Oh, but I thought I was done. I told everyone for five years that I was done. Point proven right there. In my house, in my bedroom, in my ear at night again. But it's only when I took it to God and said, God, and I didn't believe it when I said it, but I said, God, I'm sure you're going to work this out for me. And it actually took me a while to actually believe that. But when I came to a point where I said, okay, I think you really will take care of me and you will take care of this family. Even thinking, oh my God, I, I have to feed another boy because boys eat more than girls. It's like, 
Ah, someone will drop a carnival. Spring sowing, guys, 2018. It's a Kia carnival. I'm just telling you now. <laughs> there is a peace that is available to each and every one of you, regardless of what you're going through in your life, but it only comes from God. And it only comes from knowing that you are in a right relationship with your Creator. That's the first thing. Secondly, we have hope. Not only do we have peace when we are right with God, but we have hope. Hope is the expectation and the anticipation for something to happen in the future. Here's the beauty of hope. The hope that Paul talks about. It doesn't come from good things. It doesn't necessarily come from good things. It's not like buying a lot of ticket and going, okay, here we go. $40 million. You know, like... You know, Paul, Paul says we glory in suffering. And once again, just like peace is available to each and every one of us, whether our, our situation is good or bad, this hope is also available to us. Hope of a better life. Hope of a better future. And it's not just when things are good. It's actually when things are tough too. Paul says we glory in suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. That is the hope that we can boast in. A hope that you and I can't even imagine. You know, when I, when I ask you, what's the best thing that you can do for your life? You could tell me something, and I promise you what God has for you, the plan that God has for you, your family, for your future, for your career, regardless of what situation you're in, is way beyond what you can even dream about. That's what God has for us, a peace and hope. And finally, we have love. Verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out. God's love has been poured out. That's what Paul says. Even while we were still sinners, that was the demonstration of God's love. God will send His one and only Son to die for us, to save us. Why? Because of His love. Because He loves you. Because He loves you. Christ died for us because he loved us. Now, I'm sure you would have heard this millions of times, thousands of times in the church, but I want you to hear it again one more time tonight. God loves you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've been involved in, no matter what background you're coming from, no matter what your future lies, no matter what career path you've chosen for yourself, God loves you. God loves you. It's this peace, this hope, and this love. Not theological concepts. These are not things that we listen to and go, wow, that'd be nice. No, no, these are life-transforming truths. This is what is available to all of those who put their faith in Jesus, remembering, believing, and living for Him. Can I tell you that the comparison still exists today between Jesus and Adam? There are some of us in this world that we still live like Adam. We still live under the reign of Adam, the, the, the reign of sin and death. We choose to live a broken life. We choose to live a life with a broken relationship with our Creator, and we're okay with that. 
And God doesn't force himself upon you. No, no, no. That's a choice that he gives. That's a choice that we make. Some of us, we choose to live that life, but God gives us an alternative. He gives us an alternative through his son, Jesus. And he says, look, here's the problem, but here's the solution. Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I pray that peace, hope, and love would be a part of your life, not just as bumper stickers, but really a part of your day-to-day because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray.